Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Wealth Tech Show. I'm Ian Horn, and this is a citywide podcast looking at technology and the way it will change the way we invest and manage personal finances. The last few weeks, we've been discussing crypto assets. This week, we're taking a very different direction, and we're going to discuss the cost of living crisis. With that in mind, let me introduce today's guest. I'm joined by Myron Jobson, Senior Personal Finance Analyst at Interactive Investor. Myron, welcome to The Wealth Tech Show. Hello, Ian, and thank you very much for inviting me on. Great to have you on. So, Myron, I think a few people will be aware of your work. You're a columnist for the I newspaper. Yeah. Uh, you featured on Talk TV and GB News as well. Um, so, look, tell us a little about yourself and how you've landed in the exciting world of personal finance. Well, yeah, well, my job really as a senior person finance analyst for Interactive Investor is I talk about money. That's what yeah. I talk about. I talk about <laughs> personal finance. Yeah. Finances range from savings, investment, mortgages, you know, so, you know, I might come things like house price indices, um, obviously cost of living crisis. How could we ever forget that? You know, it's just, a, a perpetual crisis, isn't it, for us at the moment? Yeah. Um, yeah, wealth in buy now, pay later. Yeah, borrowing, credit, just a range of different topics covering personal finances. And yeah, I've been doing this for gosh, almost three years now. So before that, I was a financial journalist. Yes, um, I used to work for. Who would do that? I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> great, great role. Um, I used to work for This Is Money. I also worked for FT Advisor, which is one of um, Financial Times trade publications. So yeah, I've been in the industry for gosh, almost ten years now, which is, uh, wow, where's my life going? <laughs> in yeah, a good way. It, it, good yeah, way. I know what you mean. It's been eight years for me, so I know, <laughs> I know the feeling. Um, look, let, let's outline the cost of living crisis. This is a podcast generally for wealth managers and financial advisors and the people involved in tech across those spaces. We don't often do a huge amount on the cost of living crisis or, or people in you know financially vulnerable situations, but I, I think we need to, especially with tech being such a great way to approach that kind of problem. Let me let me outline some of the issues. This is stuff you'll know, you know, inside out, Myron. But I but, hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can pretend you do, at the very least. So, Smile and nod. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Look, look, inflation rate in the UK in May was eight point six percent. Household energy price cap has risen by fifty four percent in April. It's likely to rise again in October. I think uh, there's been a ten percent increase in national insurance. Council tax has risen by 3.5%, and private rental costs in London are up 14%, and actually 19% in Manchester, according to the big issue. So you know, it's getting harder to get by for a lot of people. Um, yeah, talk me through the issues. What, what kind of stuff's coming up when you're when you're writing about this? I mean, we just know, you know, from just not just from people we speak we speak to, but just looking around, listening to news, um, radio, it's like staying on top of rising prices has just become a daily struggle for many people. We know it from going to the shops, doing our weekly grocery shop. I, I always my one of my inflation um, basket items is pasta, and one thing I've noticed, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I like to eat pasta. You can do so much with pasta. One thing I noticed is that the price of pasta, like a you know a, a pack of pasta, has risen by a hundred. Well, it's risen a hundred percent. You know, it's doubled since the beginning of the year, and I noticed it. You know, from my local shop at uh, my local Sainsbury's, um, mm. but officially it has risen. It has doubled well, in price. This eight point six is just a general percentage, isn't exactly it? across the board. But we all have our own unique inflation number. So you know, food, energy. Yeah. <laughs> we all know about energy. What? Yep. Since uh, energy price was um, revised upwards in April, it's added what six hundred ninety three. Pounds per year to the typical energy bill, and come autumn, it's only going to go up even more by eight hundred pounds, making the typical energy bill rise to two thousand eight hundred pounds a year, which is just 
extraordinary amounts of money, you know, and it's yeah. an extraordinary uptick that a lot of people won't be able to weather, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and just, just for everyone listening, Myron does not have notes. This is all stuff you've remembered. <laughs> you totally know your stuff. I've, I've got a piece of paper in front of me. I'm totally reading off of that at times. Um, but yeah, these, these, are, these are serious problems for a lot of people, aren't they? I mean, yeah. clearly. And I think a lot of people in our world in financial services are, we're kind of buffered from it, aren't we? We don't really see it um, firsthand. Yeah. Um, so look, we're this is the Wealth Tech Show, and what we need to do on here on this one is is talk about how technology can make this situation easier. Um, you know, to your mind, how how do you see technology as part of the solution, or at least a, a means to alleviate some of the issues? Right. Some things like budgeting, for example. Um, I speak to friends and family members, and they, they ask me saying things like, you know, what what can we do to help? Um, alleviate this cost of living pressure and I say technology can help you know if you don't have time to you know what because I'm old-fashioned what I usually do I just <laughs> grab a few sample paper just you know list out my yeah. different categories of expenditure and see where I can cut back but there are apps for that now like Emma for example in Yolk they, they do it all for you and it's quite nice and seamless and slick it's not advert but you know it's, it's just yeah. there are apps for and that you can do it um you know that you can use to actually a better um, have a better overview of your finances and so that's one thing and you know, with investments, if you actually have some money to invest, um, you can. It's like you know, you can do it through a DIY platform such as us, like very easily, very seamlessly, and that's something that people weren't able to do um, even in the nineties. Yeah, and, and do you know, what? I think it is fine to to name companies when we're talking about this because we're trying to help people mm. in difficult situations. And if you are on the payroll, Myron, just send some of that my way. That's <laughs> that's all I'm I not, ask. I'm not. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should we should clarify that Myron is not on the payroll. Um, that is important. Um, yeah. So again, the kind of apps that exist out there. I, I saw an article from Sky News that listed a number of them. There's, uh, yeah, there's budgeting apps. Um, there are digital change jars. We're thinking com- you know, places like Moneybox, Plum, Chip. Um, and there's Honey if you're looking for good deals online. There's Snoop for budgeting and savings. Uh, there's also Olio, which alerts you if neighbors have excess food that they'd prefer to give away. All sorts of things. Um, I'm sure we can include a list of these um, when we write this up. Um, there's also benefits calculators as well. There's Turn to Us, Entitled to, and InBest. These are all um, well places you can go to to make sure that you're actually entitled to benefits and see how much you're you're owed. And we do have a piece coming up in a couple of weeks, possibly even next week, uh, from Manu Pelotero from InBest, who, who's talked us through all that. Um, let's look at another area of this, which is buy now, pay later. Because oh, yes. when we're looking at ways to solve the problem, in comes buy now, pay later, which doesn't really necessarily help people does it if we're if we're honest i mean it can do but it doesn't often mm. um what's your take on 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 bnpl let's call it that yeah you know i'd always think back to the words my mom would say growing up it's like live within your neat means myron live within your means um and yeah it's it's a situation where um it could be a slippery slope, which is I'm serious there. And the issue nowadays is through some buy now, pay later schemes, you actually can actually buy some grocery items. And you think, gosh, if you're in a financial position where you can't afford your groceries, perhaps taking on further debt isn't a good thing. Mm-hmm. And one thing about buy now, pay later um, schemes is they don't necessarily, they don't always do a hard credit check to, you know, to check that you can actually afford it. So you know, they can't really get an idea of your broader credit position, your credit score um, before distinguishing whether they can actually, they should actually give you the money. And that's quite dangerous because it means that people who are in broad in debt 
could be using the, the service, which means that they'll be left embroiled in further debt, which mm -hmm. is a dangerous situation, especially in this cost of living crisis. That's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because there's technology that can do all sorts of things to you if you're trying to buy things or trying to get by, but you need that personal finance knowledge before, yeah. really. Um, so, so I guess your your advice, if I'm not mistaken, would be to try the the budgeting and the savings apps, for, you know, before you before you go anywhere near buy now pay later. Yeah, certainly. I mean, yes, I, I do see that there, there can be an advantage to buy now pay later if you know for sure that you'll have you know money later on, you'll be able to afford the repayments. Then, yeah, I suppose it, it can be a decent way of, um, yeah pain later I suppose to make an extension at the moment and pay later but you can just you know you can budget you can an effective budget can allow you to do the same thing uh, and that's what I'll probably steer people towards doing rather than you know opting for buy now pay later schemes yeah and and again more more research on that there was more than 17 pe uh, million people not 17 people 17 <laughs> million people in the UK who have used buy now pay later to to make an online purchase and it was predicted uh, last year that payment volumes will grow by 50% in, in 2022 by the end of the year um, on, on BNPL. Uh, the FCA, you know, the Financial Conduct Authority, has just sent a dear CEO letter to 3,500 bosses in financial services, uh, including all regulated and non-regulated buy now, pay later operators, to remind them of their obligation to treat customers fairly. You would think you wouldn't need reminding uh, of, of that. <laughs> <You'd hope. laughs> yep. And um, yeah, the, an FCA statement uh, says the FCA is concerned that some customers in vulnerable circumstances are not getting the support they need and some lenders are not discussing the potential benefits of money guidance or free debt advice or helping and supporting borrowers to access these. Um, that kind of outlines the situation we're in. Yeah. Um, on the upside, do you, do you see, well, on the, on the contrary, do you, do you see any upsides to, to buy now, pay later schemes and things like that? Yeah, well, as I said, it's just, it's if you know that you have money um, to pay, make the repayments, then yeah, it, it can make sense. Um, from a, I don't know, consumeristic point of view in terms of if you want something now and you think, oh, this is like a one-time offer. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, and you don't necessarily have the money now. I can see how it can be a benefit, but that mindset also question um, is, you know, you can't just just because you can get something out doesn't mean that you have to. So yeah. this it's a balance, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I read a, a piece that you wrote recently on your blog about cash and the importance of cash. Yeah, and it, and it seems again with technology, we we often appear to just move forwards, not really asking the questions whether we should, we just know that we can, so we do. And it would almost seem like we're moving towards a cashless society. Mm. But that's not necessarily utopia, is it? Can you, can you talk us through that piece that you wrote and and what your what your take is on the situation with people still using cash? Yeah, and I, I basically I wrote that piece because of this broad conversation of about access to ATM, access to cash. There's that understanding that because of the, well, the, the pandemic accelerated it, but we are, going towards yeah. a, a truly digital society and cash has been left at its wake. Um, but cash is still important for millions of consumers' lives and also businesses. I mean, the way I think about it, I think of personal experience. So you know, I, before pandemic, I used to go to a few music concerts. It's yeah. great. And in music concerts, usually there is an option to pay by card, but sometimes it doesn't work because the signal is terrible. <laughs> Everyone's using their phones like, oh gosh, you know, why is it taking 10 minutes for my car to actually go through? In those circumstances, I've had to pay cash. You know, when I think about um, people who live in, um, 
well, you know, just some business, some businesses like stalls, um, some uh, market stalls, for example, some business dealers still ask to um, to transact via cash, and so you have to um, counter, you have to sorry cater um, for such businesses. So it's cash still has a role to play in today's society, and I think so long as there's sufficient demand for cash, we have to make sure that people can access cash. And the thing with access to cash is it's it's waned because a lot of um, banks and building societies are pulling their high street stores, yeah. which means it's just so hard to find an ATM machine. I, I know the government's looking at this and the FCA is looking into this and there more and more um, post office are, are open, well not open up, but um, you know, they have ATM so people can um, withdraw cash. But you know, if you live in a remote area of the country, it's not always easy to no. withdraw cash, is it? No, not at all, no. It, it, it's strange how, one of the one of the bizarre upsides to this kind of remote and hybrid working environment we're in now is that I no longer need to stress if I need to go to the bank, and it really shouldn't be like that, should it? It should be more accessible. It should be more functional. But um, another point you you mentioned in your in your piece, which I thought was was really worthwhile, was the psychological aspect of using cash and how that helps yeah. people budget. Um, yeah, do you, what's your your thinking there? It's easy to really appreciate the value when you're of money when you're seeing it when you're holding it. You're yeah, like, okay, sure. if I take if I'm holding um, you know 100 pounds in cash in twenties, if I take one twenty years away, I'm like, oh wow, okay, I can see that cash disappearing. Oh, okay, how do I feel about this? It's, it's a psychological aspect that um, is really valuable when it comes to budgeting, especially at this moment in time. You know, again, cost of living crisis, um, so that shouldn't be forgotten. No, absolutely not. And it's funny because when we talk about technology, I, I come across this often, and I actually mention this frequently in the podcast, it's not just about technology, it's about how people interact with it. Yeah. It's about sociology, it's about psychology, it's about all these things. And I think sometimes we forget that. And I can see, as, as you rightly point out in your piece, cash still has a place, doesn't it? It's still, oh, almost certainly. still absolutely worthwhile. Um, okay, yeah, great point on, on cash there, Myron. And actually, according to the Bank of England, only 17% of all payments in 2020 were in cash, and that's relative to 50% in 2010. That's that's a huge change in how, how things are going. Now, let's look at something a bit different, which is financial education. Yeah. As we were talking about, you can't, you know, it's so important that we have that financial education overlay before we start using technology to try and fix the problem. I'm going to start with being negative because, of course, I am a journalist. <laughs> uh, look, we, social media and financial influencers. Oh, yes. Go on. Do you, I, I, think, oh, I, I don't think I need gosh. to finish that question. No, I mean, talk to me. Everyone thinks they're an expert, right? Uh, everyone thinks they're experts, but they're not. They're not experts. <laughs> I tell you, no, they're not. The amount of this ill, bad guidance. You know, I'm trying to, you know, temper my words, but it's it's quite. It can be quite frustrating because I have friends who be like, "Oh, Marion, have you seen this?" You know, it's, especially when it comes to riskier investments, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, they're like, "Oh yeah, I should do this. I should do." That. I'm like, "No, no, no. You have to remember that." You can't believe everything you see on social media, and you know, going going to investments, for example, like cryptocurrency. I'll, there, I'll, I'll say it. You know, yeah. um, very risky. We all know it's very risky. The FCA have um, put out many statements trying to remind consumers that it's a risky investment, and if you're going to invest, make sure it's just a really, 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 really tiny fraction of um, your portfolio. But some of the things you see on social media, it, it makes it seem like it's it's a no brain that you should do it. You know, you should not just crypto, but some other risky investments. You know, um, forex trading, all that kind of stuff. They, you know, people, young people are looking at this and think this is a way of making money. And I think sometimes it feeds into this. Um, 
this want to to build up wealth very quickly um and a lot of us in the industry know that it's you know is that the yeah. parable of the tortoise and the hare isn't it slow and steady wins the race and that, that the same principle applies to your investments you know and yeah it's you know where do i stop really honestly and <laughs> it's 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 dangerous and um yeah more needs to be done to to tackle the bad guidance that are out there and hopefully the online safety bill um will will you know help help tackle that mm-hmm. yeah and we yeah, we have seen there's obviously been moves to regulate the advertising of cryptocurrencies but initially that stuff was was all over the place wasn't it it was like you say it was even even official adverts were talking about these ridiculous returns and yeah and of course we combine what one people i think people will always be a bit greedy won't they and then on the other hand you've you've got a cost of living crisis people might also be feeling a little bit desperate and yeah but this it, doesn't help i think it's quite interesting because these appear on social media these adverts appear on social media sites and so people are looking at images of their friends living their best lives you know go on holiday and going around driving a fancy car or you know buying the latest clothes and watches and all that all that kind of stuff and they look at this like oh i wish i had that then next to that they they see an advert of you know cryptocurrency or whatever and it always creates a dangerous association of oh do you want to grow your money your wealth quickly so that you can live this lifestyle that your friends are living or the people that you respect are living you know maybe this could be a way of getting you know getting rich quickly and i think that's a dangerous association yeah 100% it is and and people believe as, as you as you say people believe this mm. information that they're receiving online too i mean i've got some american stats i presented some british equivalents last week when we spoke to Catherine Wooler from Daxi but um yeah cnbc reported that roughly a third of americans trust social media to make to help them make financial decisions uh, and similar numbers trust social media influencers and celebrities financial advice yeah and that's from um, a, a survey from an investment firm called TIAA that's that's crazy isn't it yeah i think what people forget is that we all are on our own unique financial journey so journey so what works for one person might not work for you i always come back to investments you know some people um advocate riskier investments but some people might not have that appetite to risk or might not have the time horizon to actually make that risky investment and that's really easy to forget um for many people and um, when they they are taking in such um information mm-hmm. and let's uh talking about risky investments uh the democratization of investing was on the agenda mm. last year and i'm not trying to present that as a bad thing i generally think it's great that more people are able to invest but a lot of it was kicked off by cryptocurrencies you've alluded to already and then the meme stocks uh, you could even add nfts on the cryptocurrency side of things mm. um you know insofar as this is this is galvanized regular folk to to make investments with money they might otherwise have spent in a different way. Do you, do you think that trend is here to stay or do you think that was a bit of lockdown boredom? Uh, that's quite interesting. Um, I do think that trend is here to stay, but the cost, cost of living crisis is stymieing that. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's prevent that from moving yeah. on quite considerably because people just don't have enough money to, to make such investments. I mean, with, with the pandemic, I think a lot of people with all of a sudden having a lot of time on their hands, you know, we can't really do much under the lockdown restrictions just felt that right now is a right good time to start investing i've heard about this thing investing maybe i should start doing it and you know cryptocurrency um the advertising of it captured a lot of people's minds you know we at interactive investor did a survey and found that 45% of um adults aged between 18 and 29 made their first ever investment in anything in cryptocurrency and 
the only thing, and what's worrying is that a lot of, uh, you know, a large number of people did so by using money from debt, from loans, from student loans, credit cards, you know, other um, avenues of debt, which we thought was quite worrying, really. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, it's, you know, we can't get away from the fact that people have engaged in investing in cryptocurrency. And of course, the GameStop, the meme, um, stock saga um, during the pandemic feeds into that. But as I say, with the cost of living crisis, it has slowed down. And I think that a lot of people have, you know, those people who did make their first ever investment in such um, investments mm-hmm. have experienced a baptism of fire now oh, with sure. uh, you know, yeah. with crypto markets just tanking, um, GameStop nowhere near as high as it was, you know, a couple of years ago during the Meepsop saga and all that, um, I mean, stock saga rather. So it's about to end time. And, and the, the only danger with that is it might prevent people, well, it might put people off from investing for a lifetime. And that will be yeah. very, very worrying. Yeah, it, it, it's confusing, isn't it? Because the actual message people needed to hear was a harder sell, you know, to diversify your investments, have a have a sensible portfolio. I don't know if we'd have been able to infuse people in the same way if we had said that. But at the same time, as you say, these developments might have long-term negative effects. Yeah. And to speak to GameStop, which you mentioned, I mean, before the lockdown, that was trading just below $4 a share. That went up to slightly slightly north of $300 in early 2021. It's now about 120 But I said it today, but at the time we actually put this live that could be anywhere between <laughs> between 50 and 500 i mean who knows yeah it's uh, it's really it's really hard to tell uh do you do you think there's um well actually do you think it's bad that people are getting involved in let's look at the the complexity of these things okay because cryptocurrency i mean we're, we're looking at cryptographic developments for a future economy and you've got regular people investing in it with with you know, some financial knowledge perhaps, but I think you need to be a real expert to know what you're doing there. And then we're looking at the meme stocks. They sound quite fun, don't they? Let's, you know, stick it to the, the hedge funds. But yeah. but that's a short squeeze. That's a pretty complicated thing that you wouldn't really want to get into unless you, again, knew what you were doing. Do you, do you think that's, um, <laughs> well, yeah, what are your thoughts on people jumping in on these things? They probably don't comprehend. I mean, it's hard to explain. <laughs> I'm, I always ask, "What's the value?" When I when I when I speak to friends about it, and they say, "Oh yeah, my cryptocurrency is gonna go up." I'm like, "How do you know it's gonna go up? It's gonna go up." I heard it. <laughs> where where do you hear it? Off Reddit somewhere. Someone said it, from, yeah. from Reddit said it. I'm like, okay, so you're going to trust advice of someone you don't meet, don't even know, have never met, don't know if it's a real person. It could be a bot. You know, yeah. <laughs> on Reddit, it's it's hard to identify an intrinsic value um, in some in, in a lot of these cryptos and I think that's the the difficulty with, here uh, with cryptos you know with conventional investing with stocks for example there is some sort of value be it holdings like property holdings that like, you know physical assets that people can sell or like intellectual property that people have placed value to you know the value is is obvious right and so you know I, I understand the excitement of you know, dipping your toe into something exciting and very volatile and you could mm-hmm. win big, you can, you know, lose big. But it's like, it's akin to playing slots in Las Vegas, like a Las Vegas uh, casino. That's honestly, that's what how I broach it. That's how I consider it because it's just so volatile. And as such, I always say to people, if you invest in it, just mentally, just be prepared, like, 
think of you'll lose your money, you'll be prepared to lose your money, essentially. That's that's what I always say. Even though I don't think that's going to be the case, I think that's a good attitude to have. And if you are going to invest in these things, make sure it represents only a tiny, tiny amount of your portfolio. And certainly, please do not borrow money. Yeah, Don't borrow money to invest in these things because that is a slippery slope into serious debt, you know? Absolutely. And you've got to outperform your interest rate beyond anything else. Exactly. It's a yeah, a, a bit of a crazy world. Um look from your pers- you know, the perspective of, of working at Interactive Investor, what what do you see as the future for the democratization of investing? Do you, do you have any optimism that we might actually reach a point where people are a bit more financially literate and are actually, you know, regular folk are investing in a way that is going to set up the right kind of platform for a, a healthier financial future? Oh, most certainly. I think um, yeah, the benefits of um, what happened during the pandemic in terms of a lot of people investing for the first time um, means that people are switched on, people are tuned to investments. And what the challenge for us as an industry is to make sure that people remain switched on and that we feed them the right information. As you said, the importance of diversification, the importance of considering your own attitude to risk and your time horizon when making your investments. But, you know, this whole idea of retail power, retail consumer power really took off in it, like during the pandemic with the gain stop, the mean stop thing. And I think that that will continue to happen. Like on Interactive Investor, one thing that we're big on is shareholder voting you know we make it clear through our comms to our customers that you have a say and that your say matters you know and so with AGMs when there are um, shareholder votes um, that could be casted uh, we alert our customers to them and remind them that please have your say on things like ESG for example which is a big big topic that a lot of companies are considering and that a lot of people are putting pressures on the companies that invest in to consider yeah. when making investments. Yeah, ESG is a huge part of this. And uh, we interviewed uh, Tumelo uh, a while back, well, Georgia from Tumelo, um, who was you know explaining how she's allowing people who invest in funds now to signal their voting intention at AGMs, so fund managers can then see what the investors actually want the companies to do. I think that kind of kind of development is really exciting. But it, it's it's funny, I think sometimes the the asset management world lags behind what the general public might actually want to do from an ethical sense. And are you, are you seeing greater demand uh, on the retail side from people wanting ESG solutions? Yeah, especially during the pandemic on our bestsellers list, um, like month to month, during the pandemic, we just saw um, funds like um, Bailey Gifford, Positive Change, just saw up um, our, our bestsellers list and funds like the Renewable Infrastructure Group and um, Green Coat, UK Wind, um, Investment Trust, all, all quite popular. And so, and I suppose it makes sense because, you know, we had the, um, what's the big conference, environmental conference um, that was it? Oh, oh, COP. Yeah, COP 26. Yeah. yeah, the fallout of COP 26. You know, the um, scientists actually highlighting the, that we are in a climate disaster era, you know, and that we need to make some serious changes in our climate change policy in order to prevent climate disaster. And I think that's resonated with people. And a lot of people um, are are aware that they can make a difference through how they invest. And, you know, we've seen that filled through, um, as I said, uh, with our best sellers and continue to do so, I think, in the future. Yeah. And in those situations, again, I, I don't have any fun fact sheets in front of me, but is there any discussion of people sacrificing investment performance for uh, you know, ESG or positive impact goals? 
Yeah, well, no, not necessarily. I say not necessarily because a lot of these portfolios um, are, they focus in some quality companies um, which have, haven't been doing too well um, recently um, because there's been like a market shift towards value. Um, and so a lot of ESG funds have um, taken a hit as a result. Yeah. However, um, it, you know, from historical, from if you look at a longer time horizon, it, lots of data suggests that um, no, you don't necessarily have to sacrifice returns in order to invest in a way that's good for the earth. Yeah. Yeah, it, I, I find it so interesting. It, I, I do think the industry is changing. It's taken time. We still have the greenwashing issues, of course, yeah, of course. Uh, to navigate. But it is, it is good, at least, to see those those changes. And it's also interesting that that's a priority. And at the same time, we still have people going for the big returns in, in crypto or meme stocks. But I, I think that's just, isn't that just human life, isn't it? Just exactly. how people are. Uh, yeah, and another thing, Myron, is... Obviously, there's a big advice gap. Financial advisors and wealth managers generally don't speak to many clients with less than £50,000 to invest. You know, there's also robo-advice, which was potentially going to fill that gap and look after so many people. What's your perspective on that? Is robo-advice doing what it promised to do? Yes, I think that's an interesting question, Ian, because I think a lot of people... Um, it's a great idea, isn't it? There's an element of advice and you don't have to pay you know, incredible amounts for that element of advice, fine. But for a lot of people, um, it's the end product that perhaps these lots to be desired um, in terms of the product, the, um, sorry, the performance of what's actually recommended. Um, I, I remember doing research into this uh, a while back um, and some of the portfolios just, they don't perform as well as existing multi-asset funds um, already out there funds like the Vanguard Life Strategy um, for example like their, their funds um, at the different risk levels and I think that's the biggest thing so if the end product isn't performing as well as these one-stop shop funds that have the equivalent risk level you know um, attached to it um, then a lot of people are like well what's the, what's the point if I'm I'm spending more on this robo-advice where I can get this uh, a better performing one stop one stop shop solution um, and it's cheaper. So I think that's where robos need to improve. Yeah. So what what would you recommend to someone that's running a robo proposition? I mean, besides performance, which you, you, you're quite clear on, are there any other things that can be done to make sure that more people use these services? Yeah, I think better marketing for mm -hmm. one. I think I've seen it's not been marketed as much as it used to. Um, and also just making the proposition clearer, making it clearer what type of advice is being offered. Simplified advice is not the full fat advice you get from um, human financial advisors. It's being upfront about that and finding some way of reducing the cost of the service. You know, for a lot of um, investors playing, I don't know, like one plus percent, um, it's, it's just too much. Yeah, and for a lot of these people, it's their first step into investing as well to so be hit by a hidden charge i assume is unappreciated exactly exactly that uh, look Myron, one one last thing obviously your perspective has come from well a role that now is personal finance based and you've you've done you know a fair amount of personal finance journalism too what what do you think financial advisors and wealth managers really need to know about things like the cost of living crisis and and people taking their first steps into the investment world that they need just really simple guidance, really simple um, advice, really. Um, and that 
it, it's like these people are the high net worth individuals of the future um, and they're just looking to take their first step. And so it's it's important to cater for them. You know, the amount of people who, um, for in, inheritance, for example, the amount of people who receive inheritance that I know personally um, during the pandemic, because unfortunately um, a relative uh, has passed away, um, has increased. And a lot of people are saying, right, what do I do? What I need to do with this money? And they don't know. They want to go to a financial advisor. They think, oh, but it's too expensive, you know, to, yeah. to actually go for advice um, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, they want to be catered for. And so maybe there's like a little gap there that, that can be filled by yeah. um, advisors. Yeah, and this isn't specifically a tech question, but how do you think the industry can perhaps market itself better? That's an interesting question. I think through um, use of simple language, perhaps, um, I, I, do I say it like fighting fire with fire in terms of, you know, I think one thing that the crypto industry do well and does well um, is marketing to as I say, the next generation of high net worth individuals, you know, the language they use. I think perhaps there might be, um, I think some people might think the traditional investment industry is still like an old boys mm -hmm. industry. And I think more needs to be done to kind of dispel that myth, you know, um, and yeah, better marketing, I think, better communication. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of that stuff is it is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. um, look, Myron, thank you for joining me. Really enjoyed having you on the Wealth Tech Show. No, thanks for having me on. It's, it's been great. And uh, obviously, the cost of living crisis isn't something we'd, we'd usually deal with with wealth managers and financial advisors. But again, I, I think it's fundamentally important that we talk about these things, especially in relation to technology that might help people. Um, look, that, that's all we have time for. That's the end of the episode. Um, I'm Ian Horn. This has been the Wealth Tech Show. And thank you to everyone who's been listening. We'll be back again next week. Mm -hmm.